several years ago at Union Lake Baptist, we were in a really dark time. The Word of God had become dim through shallow teaching. You know, since, since Peter and I came to Union Lake Baptist soon after coming to the U.S. from China, I longed for Peter to sit under teaching that I had known for a year and a half in Taiwan when I studied Chinese. In the church in Taiwan, I had been involved in Sunday school and Bible studies that required that I do preparation before study. We even took a test before Sunday school lesson to see if we needed to prepare more. Through this community of believers who continually grew in their walk with God and their outreach to the community around them, I learned the Bible was one story of God's plan to redeem his people. In China, sometimes the church teaching was good, and other times it added politics and secular ideas. I longed for what I had known in Taiwan and wondered if I would ever find a community like the church in Taiwan again. I was thirsty. Orchard Lake Community Bible Study helped ease my thirst, but it wasn't a church community. As the boys began to go to public school, I found a group of moms to pray with called Moms in Touch. We would pray through scripture for our children with praise, confession, thanksgiving, request. Some of you know it as acts. Um, <clears throat> we poured out our hearts to God. I met with this group for over 10 years, and we learned together how to earnestly seek God's help in raising our children. We saw God answer our prayers. The most dramatic um, was in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 19, in 2008, when we prayed for my oldest, who was then in eighth grade, and scheduled to watch a sex ed video with both boys and girls in his health class. Peter didn't want Daniel to be singled out by opting out, but I had seen the videos. So we moms prayed. The week the videos were scheduled, God sent a storm with high winds and tornadoes. Roofs were blown off. I mean, it was dramatic. Um, some houses, uh, trees created roadblocks, and the power went out and didn't return that week until eighth grade graduation. No one saw the videos. In those 10 years of praying, I learned the value of praying in community and how regular prayer changed me. I began praying with a small group at church for a spiritual awakening. Bernice was part of that group. Um, again, we looked at what God's word said about spiritual leadership and prayed for God to work 
in our hearts and in the hearts of our leaders. Praise, confession, thanksgiving, request. Though we didn't wait for 20 years in darkness like the Israelites in our text today, it seemed like a very long time. Then I saw God work in a way I had never seen before. I mean, local churches usually compete, um, but God sent help from two area churches, Lakes and Berean, and they helped us to see the importance of studying God's word and the need to repent of our wanderings from God. God called Pastor Jeff to step, to take a step of faith and become our pastor. It was an unbelievable answer to our prayer. Instead of famine of God's word, we feasted on the riches found on every page of his word and began to be trained in how to teach God's word to others. We became a healthy church, not because of attractive programs or contemporary music, but because thirst was satisfied. Our lesson today, um, God's people are lamenting after God, after 20 years of living under his judgment. They are thirsty for God. Would God again help them? I had one theme and then I simplified it, so I put both of them down. Um, God helps the repentant sinner, sinner to be restored to his eternal inheritance in God's holy presence through Jesus, our mediator. Or the shortened version, God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. <clears throat> we saw in 1 Samuel 3, God's grace in calling Samuel to, to bring his word to his people. And then we have uh, three chapters of darkness, defeat, and death. As um, Courtney taught us last week, the people were wondering who could stand before the holy God in, in 1 Samuel 6.20. Like the Philistines, they also played hot potato with the ark um, that they had thought would rescue them back in chapter 4. The ark finally rested at the house of Abinadad, and Eliezer, um, the son, was consecrated to keep the ark in 1 Samuel 7.1. The people of Israel went back to their homes under the oppression of the Philistines. Samuel was behind the scenes, giving God's word to the people, but the people weren't listening. They want God's presence. They still want God, but on their own terms, terms that wouldn't require them to make major changes in their lives. After 20 years of trying to do religion their own way, they came to a place where they needed someone to step in and do something 
they couldn't do for themselves. A place of helplessness, a place of mourning, a place God brings all his people to so that they can see their need, that um, their need can't be fixed by trying harder, but by trusting God who acts on their behalf. This thirstiness is crucial in spiritual awakening. And, the prof- and God's prophet Samuel comes back to the forefront of our text today. God in his mercy had not left them. He was stirring in their souls a thirst that could only be satisfied in him. So in, in your um, first point, you have lamenting after God, and I changed it in mind to thirst after God. But all of the house of Israel lamented for Samuel 7-2. They realized that the status quo could not continue. God was opening their eyes to their condition under God's wrath and giving them a longing for a way out of darkness and back to the covenantal relationship with their covenant God. Though God had eliminated the corrupt Eli and the the Philistines had experienced the heavy hand of God until they returned the ark of God to Israel, the people hadn't returned to God. Why was Israel still experiencing the heavy hand of God like the Philistines? They had abandoned God as they um, had through the many cycles of judges. Now their tears were a sign that they were ready to listen to God again. But Samuel did not assume their mourning was a true return to the Lord. In um, 1 Samuel 7, 3, Samuel speaks to all the house of Israel and begins with the small word, if. If you are returning to God with all your heart. They hadn't yet recovered from the corrupt leadership under Eli. Um, Woodhouse says, repentance, however, is not just weeping. It is returning to the Lord with all your heart. God requires exclusive devotion. God is not a convenient add-on when life gets rough. Samuel lay out the steps to returning to God. So point two is repentance. Repentance begins with grief. Samuel pressed Israel to go beyond an emotional response that characterizes our scheduled revival meetings that we talked about in training last week, um, where we attempt to duplicate what only God can do in the hearts of people. In genuine repentance, there is a change of direction. The word, the Hebrew word, eshov, is to return, um, the same word for repentance. God, the good shepherd, is bringing his lost sheep home 
the same word is used in Psalm 23 um, for the English word restore, to go back to the path of righteousness. The sinner must give God exclusive obedience. So the first thing that they needed to do in their life was to turn away from idols. Samuel de Samuel's demand is simply a reassertion of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. The Israelites were to put away their um, idols, all rivals um, to the one true God, must be removed. Baal and Ashtoreth were fertility gods um, that were worshipped, uh, I'm sorry, whose worship included sexual rituals with cult prostitutes in order to ensure good crops. They had not only added these gods to their worship, but they had also corrupted the worship of the one true God by bringing pagan practices into the house of God. We saw in 1 Samuel 2.22 how Eli's sons had sex with women serving at the tent of meeting. Not easy to separate from practices you have come to believe will help you and risk it all to return to God. Unlike the gods of the Canaanites, the God of the Israelites, the one true God, would not tolerate sharing worship with other gods. He is a jealous God who alone is worthy of worship. He will not be reduced by the addition of other gods. He alone must receive our wholehearted devotion. In the expository commentary, it says, um, the Israelites were challenged to pursue an unshakable resolve towards orienting their lives to God's demands on them and towards maintaining a tenacious grasp on him. So um, in 1 Samuel 7, 4, the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtoreths. By the way, Ashtoreths is a plural form of that, um, that God, um, which is a female God, and Baals are the male God, um, and serve God alone. The trueness of God in Christ assumes and asserts that the, the falseness of every other God and faith. We aren't to put truth on equal footing with falsehood just to get along. Jesus also calls his disciples to exclusive worship. We, um, he will not share his throne with anyone or anything. In Matthew 10, 37 through 38, um, we read, Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We are also told in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Christian life is a life of ongoing, continual repentance. Our good shepherd brings us back from our wanderings to his exclusive righteousness. 1 John 1, 9 that we're all familiar with. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Genuine repentance does not cause God to act and help us. This is not work salvation, but repentance, the turning away from the idols of our heart, is a condition for salvation, or um, salvation, or its synonym, deliverance, which is used in our text. In in First um, Samuel seven three, uh, he says, "I will deliver you." out of the hands of the Philistines. I'm sorry, not... He says, Samuel says, he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Um, Point B is return to God with an undivided heart. So put away idols, but there's also the returning to God. With the idols destroyed, the sons of Israel are free to serve God alone, 1 Samuel 7, 4. In Deuteronomy, we read of this exclusive and undistracted worship. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. William um, Coper expressed this in his hymn, Oh, for a closer walk with God. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Samuel asked them to meet at Mezpah. Mezpah is a place that, um, as a unified nation, they were coming under God alone. Uh, Mezpah was used one other time as a unifying time for the people of Israel, and that was in Judges 21, um, where they met as all the tribes met, except for Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, um, then it says in Judges 21, then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, um, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mezpah. So a place of unity. In our text, they gather at Mezpah to corporately repent. The people drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted. These are self-denying rituals that are associated with repentance. There are um, 
um, some sacrifices that are um, liquid sacrifices, but here it's different. It's associated with repentance. Um, an outward showing of their serious desire for God in their lives. They corporately acknowledge their sin. We have sinned against the Lord, 1 Samuel 7, 6. Again, though repentance is not the cause, it is a requirement for God's help. There are no other, um, I'm sorry, there are no works to get deliverance. We are not required to win battles for God to gain his favor, rather to acknowledge our dependence on God for his deliverance. And Samuel judged them. Here judge um, is more of a pastoral meaning rather than a court of law like we think. Samuel led them in repentance and how they were to live their lives in obedience to God. Their gathering at Mizpah was heard by the Philistines who saw this as an act of war. The Philistines went up against Israel, and when Israel heard it, they were afraid. Would God help them as Samuel had said? Here we see Samuel take on the role of intercessor as the people tell Samuel not to cease to pray for them. They had no other option than to trust in God through uh, the prayer of his prophet, the intercessor. Sometimes churches look to programs and new strategies to save their churches from dying. But there is a spiritual battle raging for the souls of men and women. Sometimes we have to come to the point of desperation, like Union Lake Baptist found itself in several years ago, and realize that prayer is our only option. The wonderful news is that we have a better intercessor than Samuel. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. In Romans 8, 34, it says, who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Ladies, we can be steadfast in our walk with knowing, um, knowing God um, that we are subject. Let me start that sentence over again. Ladies, we can be steadfast in our walk with God knowing that we are subject of, of Jesus' intercessory prayer. Samuel Acting as priest offers a baby lamb as a burnt offering, which would be totally consumed by fire on the altar in order to make atonement for the people. Samuel's prayer was answered by God, and it's, it's interesting to note that this is the second time in 1 Samuel that God answered prayer. The first time that, that we studied was in 1 Samuel 1.19, when God answered 
Hannah's prayer. And here he is answering Samuel's prayer. God sent a storm that threw the Philistines into confusion. A fulfillment of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2.10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Philistines were defeated before Israel. Notice they were defeated before Israel. It's a passive tense. Um, the Lord, not Israel, had defeated the Philistines. So point three. With all that God has done, we are to remember God's help. First, the victory. Remembering the victory that... Um, God had achieved for them. It is interesting to note here, and this was in the question in the book as well, um, that uh, with first, I'm sorry, I can't read. It is interesting to note the contrast here with First Samuel 4, that dark time of generational failure that Janet clearly taught us two weeks ago. She told us of the failure to pass on to the next generation what God had done for them, how he had helped them in the past. In chapter 4, they are at a place called Ebenezer, which we find again at the end of chapter 7. They're at a place called Ebenezer, which means stone of help, but God did not help them. Here in chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and set it between Mezpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. In chapter 4, the Israelites trusted the ark to save them, and they were defeated. In chapter 7, the people asked Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. The result in chapter 4 was Ichabod. God's glory departed from Israel. In chapter 7 of Samuel, um, Samuel sets up, a stone and calls it Ebenezer to remember God's help. We as believers have communion and baptism to help us remember our victory comes through Christ. First Corinthians fifteen fifty six through fifty seven, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the power that raised Christ from the dead with within us to fight our battles. Our mind is a big battlefield, but Christ is victorious. 2 Corinthians 10.5 For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but um, have, 
oops, have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And Romans 8.32, he who spared his own son but um, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And the familiar verse, um, Romans 8.37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Beloved sisters, Jesus died for us. Our sin debt has been paid. We live by faith in his victory over sin and death. And he intercedes on our behalf. Yes, we suffer, but not without hope. Mm -hmm. He promises to always be with us. Point B is restored inheritance. In our text, we see that the Israelites not only saw the Philistines defeated before them, but they also had the territory that had been lost to the Philistines restored. They were at peace. The Philistines were subdued. And there was peace also with the Amorites, who were the original settlers in the land. In Christ, we also have an inheritance. What was lost through sin has been restored to us, our eternal inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it um, to the praise of his glory. And you all remember studying that verse. Hebrews 9.15 also says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. As I close, I want to talk to you a little about the beginning and the end of our text. We see at the beginning that there are 20 years that Samuel was a faithful was faithful as a prophet, but the people weren't listening. And at the end of our text, he is making his annual circuit around Israel. Most of life is mundane and ordinary. Changing diapers, buying groceries, cooking, cleaning, working, and more, faithfully fleshing out the gospel in the ordinary is what God uses to work in the hearts of his people and the people around us who are watching and listening. Don't despair that your contribution 
to God's kingdom is small. Our greatest task as believers is in the mundane life in the home where God's word is passed to the next generation. Revivals happen in God's timing, but never forget God is using you in your faithfulness to your daily task for his glory. Be encouraged by Samuel's example. Mm